Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everybody and welcome to the Forza Italia Football Podcast. If you're wondering why you're hearing a weird English accent saying this bit, it's because Connor's having a nice extended holiday, even after an international break. He's otherwise engaged this evening, so I'm taking over. But that's the only thing that's changed, because I'm joined by Kev. How are you, Kev? I'm good, yeah. Not missing Connor at all, but um, poor form that he's organised a week off directly after an international uh, weekend because I don't begrudge anybody a holiday, but um, come on, week after you've uh, not had to do this, I'll, I'll have words with him. <laughs> well, I, I miss him because I've got additional responsibility which nobody wants. But I'm also joined by Vito, who's going to carry the podcast. How are you, Vito? Yeah, I'm good, Ewan. Um, be interesting to see you in the host seat for the first time. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how this all goes. <laughs> I might well go swimming there. I don't think I've hosted anything audio-wise since uni. <laughs> but firstly, I've got to tell everyone about, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football, I'll have to write all this down because normally I don't listen to Connor when he says this, but uh, there's a minimum of three bonus pieces of content a week, but I think that might be four now, possibly even five at times. It's slowly growing. Vito's got something extra going on over there with historical articles and Connor's occasionally got an extra audio thing as well. Um, but apart from that, it's time to crack into the action. I think the biggest game of the weekend has got to be Napoli versus Inter. It was a huge, huge win for Napoli. But actually, I'm not going to tell you about that yet. I'm going to tell you all about the results for the weekend. Because <laughs> that's the next bit that has to be said. That's the bit that Connor does next. So we started off, Atalanta kicked us off actually, where, where Connor was incidentally. They won 5-2 against Spezia. And there was a big match in Rome, Lazio Juve. That ended 2 0 to Juve. And then that was followed by Fiorentina beating AC Milan 4 3, which is a huge result in the context of the title race. And Sunday's action, we had Sassuolo drawing 2 2 with Cagliari. Bologna lost 1 0 at home to Venezia. Selena also lost at home. They're looking a bit doomed. They lost 2 0 to Sampdoria, which we'll get Vito's thoughts on later. And then this evening, we had. Into three, Napoli two, which was a fantastic game, and then capped off by Roma winning late on away at Genoa 2 0. So, as I say, Inter Napoli is that's the really big game. It was built up so much during the week or whatever because Inter seven points behind Napoli, the chance to either get right back in it or, as many thought, be completely out of the title race effectively. Um, but they did manage to win. It was a really, really fun game. You know, lots of goals, lots of incidents. I'm going to start with you, Kev. Just on the starters, there, there was a big head injury for Victor Seaman, who he had to go off for it, and it really, it really nullified Napoli in terms of their, in terms of their attacking. And there was also another head injury with Jacko Andersbina later in the game. It was all a bit of a wild time, but 
he got taken to hospital, assuming, after the game for with suspected head trauma and possibly a fractured cheek. That's the last that I saw. Um, how big of a loss do you think that's going to be for Napoli heading forward, having just lost this game? Oh, I think it. I think it's likely to be huge for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, likely to be huge for them because of you know you saw how much of an impact it had on tonight's game. Obviously, it was a you know a, a big game. It was big opposition. You know, it's opposition that you probably want your your, your biggest and your best players for. Um, but the the clash of heads when they slowed it showed it in the slow mo was as much about the power Osman was going to try and generate in the in the header if he had actually got to him. Um, it was quite positive that he sort of got up and he walked away, but you could see he was kind of unsteady on his feet. There were clear signs on his on the left side of his face that he couldn't see out of that eye. And the problem Napoli had from that point was they brought on Andrea Patania, who, as much as he was kind of a, a like-for-like replacement regarding kind of your central striker, they probably couldn't have the... Um, couldn't have differing attributes if you sort of tried to sort of put two players together because he was causing all sorts of trouble down the down the flanks when he was pulling wide Osserman. Um his pace over the top, his physicality when he was sort of holding the ball up and going up for headers, whereas Patania gives you that kind of physical threat but at a much kind of slower pace and less mobile pace. And um it then requires a lot of the sort of Napoli players to get in and around. Uh, Batania and you know I think they're good enough to be able to be able to work on that it's very it's very diff, difficult to kind of do those changes in game and not not actually see sort of a, a drop off because obviously they had planned to play with Osman for probably the majority of the um, the fixture but uh, yeah they will have to sort of kind of address that if he's going to be out for a couple of weeks yeah that, it, Andrea Patania has has his merits but it's quite a drop off when he comes on in comparison to what is, you know, one of the best forwards in the world right now, basically. Um, Ivan Perisic scored the goal that put into 2-1 up. They had they had gone behind when Zielinski scored a fantastic goal for Napoli quite early in the game. And then there was a penalty uh, handballed by Koulibaly that Chalinoli scored. But Ivan Perisic with a header in the end of the first half that Aspina almost got to, but it was one of them, it just, just got over the line. But he's... He's a really big game player, Ivan Perisic. He, he just turns up in these sorts of fixtures, not necessarily always with a goal, but he will always give you a really, really useful performance. But it's looking pretty certain that he's going to be leaving into at the end of the season. You know, he's out of contract in in the coming June. There's no suggestions that he's got any interest in signing on and Inter certainly don't seem like they're going to push it because he is he's one of the higher earners at the club and, you know, he's... 33, I believe now. But how big of a miss do you think he's going to be, Vito, going forward? I think he'll be a loss because of those things he can do in big games. Uh, unfortunately, during his time at the club, he's had his share of uh, consistency issues. But uh, uh, sometimes, if you can atone for it in uh, those really crucial and decisive fixtures then sometimes it masks the inconsistencies. And in Perisic's case, especially for the Nerazzurri, um, that's one of those things he can come up with, you know, some goals, sometimes uh, pretty, sometimes not so much. But, uh, you know, when it comes to those uh, pressure cooker games, as they say, you know, he'll, he can turn games around. And uh, I think he's someone that uh, 
probably they'll miss, you know, if it's not for his age, you know, at least because he can step up to the plate. Uh, that being said, um, I'll also point out that uh, um, to really show how great he's been in big games, um, whenever I've seen him play for Croatia, especially at major tournaments, um, he really stood out for his country there. I mean, to really carry a small nation uh, to a World Cup final, um, I think, well, it wasn't him by himself, but to play a big part in that, I think uh, it shows that uh, when the stakes are high, uh, Perisic uh, can uh, do something. Yeah, I think he's one of them players that when he's gone or retired or whatever, I think people might look back and think he was he was actually a lot better than we sort of initially gave him credit for or not so much gave credit, but noticed. He's one of, He does go under the radar. Um, this win means Inter are just four points now behind Napoli and Milan. They will come on to. Obviously, they got beaten this weekend. Um, Kev, how does this change the title race for you? Do, you know, are Inter going to be on the ascendancy now? Are they suddenly favourites after this weekend? I think Inter is the, the major benefactor from the change this weekend and the result that they got tonight because of uh, they were chasing Napoli <clears throat> and Milan. Um, yeah, there were obviously elements of the the game that they, they weren't weren't doing great. Um, I, don't, I don't think it changes too much for Napoli because when you look at the game overall, they've probably had three moments of misfortune that have kind of affected how the game's gone for them. You know, if Koulibaly's arms in a, another position, you know, it, it it doesn't strike it. You know, albeit Barella might have scored, but Inter got their, got themselves back into the game. Although it was relatively even, um, Napoli performed quite well at the start of the game. Then you have the the Osman injury, and then you have that header by Mario Rui at the end, which um, Handanovic doesn't deal with great. But it, you know, if that ball spins a yard uh, lower than what it spins, it's not sort of nestling on the roof of the net outside of the goal, it's it, it's it's equalising for Napoli. So I think they'll walk away and think, well, we've got we've got zero points, but actually there were three significant moments in the game where we, we probably have had a little bit of luck go against them. So I don't think they'll be too distraught at losing their first game of the season, but Inter will be the ones that will try and use this to catapult themselves. Kind of past probably the other two with uh, the games that Napoli have got. Uh, coming up, yeah, that Mario Rui header was a weird one because it it was. I mean, it, it was a great save, but when you watch it again, it was also very nearly a cock up at the same time. I don't know if it just feels like that because it's Handanovic and it happens a lot, and he's kind of a top a topic for that. But he, the, the contact he makes with it, it, you know, it's a bit of a weak hands kind of one, and it I probably think, shouldn't yeah. fumble onto the crossbar. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think it's the the hands were just weak because the um, the speed of foot and the you know the speed of mind and the reactions were the excellent parts of that save. It's just it was it was extremely sort of weak wristed uh, that more almost turned it into a complete howler for him, which you know in injury time would have just changed the complete sort of narrative of the of the game tonight. Yeah, that would have put Inter fans in a very dark place, I think. But something that would have cheered them up a lot more is that their third goal was scored by Lazaro Martinez, who hasn't scored for Inter since October 2nd against Osvaldo. It's a really a long time for a player of his quality to have not scored in a team that is scoring a lot of goals. Um, Lisa, do you think he's... Is he going to 
hit another one of these patches, or is he? Is this it now? Is he going to finally start scoring the goals that they need him to score? Well, I'm sure Nerazzurri fans will be hoping that uh, Lautaro will keep scoring those goals for Inter because uh, he needs to be prolific. And also, considering that uh, they had to sell Lukaku in the summer, and although Edin Dzeko has done quite well with Inter so far, uh, Lautaro being much younger, far more energetic and more direct, I think... uh, he needs to produce that consistency if they are to really enter the title race. Yeah, definitely. I think they just they just need slightly more. They just need more from him in general. Basically, he's the sort of player that they they will have pinned the goal scoring hopes on. Really, it's it's Jacko that has carried it a bit more in that sense. But if they can get Lautaro really firing, then you know they, they're going they should be far and away that highest scorers in the league unless Atalanta could start knocking in five week in, week out again. But the last thing I want to talk about this game is that, you know, essentially Inter did see the game out. So Drew's Merton scored with 10 minutes or so left of the game. Although as it turned out with the head injuries we mentioned, there was then eight added minutes. So really it was 18 minutes left they had to see out. Um, you know, they did manage it, but it got very ropey and they did not look composed at all. And Napoli really, really should have got at least a point with a chance at the end. Kev, do you think, will Inter fans be a bit concerned that, you know, yes, they got this massive win and, you know, no one can take that away from them now, but they really, really could have lost it at the end there. Yeah, I think if I was an Inter fan, I'd be a little bit, a little bit concerned. Um, I'd take into account the, the quality of the opposition, you know, so they had the ability to kind of put them under as much pressure as they, as they did to be late on. Um, I think Inzaghi didn't help himself with some of the changes he made. He seemed, he seemed to be insisting on making the sort of five changes that he had available to him, whereas um, Spalletti was kind of more cautious and obviously yeah, the team were playing well and um, didn't want to change too much. So um, that had an impact. And actually with one of the substitutions, you think he brings on Vidal, who at Vidal's age and with Vidal's experience, you think he could be one of the people that would help bring some composure and sort of see the game out for Inter. Instead, he was an absolute basket case going around booting everybody in his path. Um, I was amazed he didn't pick up a second yellow card. And it was like, just, you would just, you'd really be concerned about using him again in that sort of same scenario um, to bring him on and, and do everything. Because, you know, I think if anybody's, if any of the younger players, I know there is quite a lot of experience in that Inter side, see someone of, of his age and experience going round and sort of frantically booting the ball away. There was three or four times where it came to him on the edge of the box and he just cleared it straight back to the Napoli defence and then on came another another attack. And uh, yeah, it's um, a little concerning for them, but um, maybe just the, uh, the size of the size of the opposition, etc. tonight made them not maybe see out the, the final few minutes as they maybe would have wanted to. I think the complexion or the perception of the result would have changed if Mertens managed to score his second goal of the game. Uh, the goal to pull it back to 3-2 was a lovely strike, but from a closer range, he somehow manages to blast that shot over the bar. And uh, I think if he was uh, far more accurate and actually did score that, We'd be looking at a three-all draw, and then uh, 
the repercussions of uh, Inzaghi substitutions, I think they would be scrutinised far more. And we'd be looking at it as a game in which uh, Intel would have uh, squandered a great chance to really narrow the gap on the top two. Yeah, I think I think no no one can argue that Inter were the better team in the game, but Napoli will still feel, like I say, with chances like that towards the end of the game that they really could have got a point from that. And as Kev says, with a few events in the game that didn't fall their way. But the win is even bigger for Inter because yesterday evening, <laughs> the Fiorentina-Milan game was absolutely brilliant. It was, you know, entertainment-wise, I can't decide if it was better than Napoli Inter or not. I think it was probably slightly more chaotic, but I guess not overall as important for both teams. But yeah, Fiorentina won 4-3. And I said on the preview pod with Connor midweek that it feels like Milan, they're due with all these injuries and everything, a few of the results they've had, sort of the manner that they've won some games, they're due like a burnout game where it just doesn't happen for them. And they finally get that first defeat. And while this was their first defeat, this, this wasn't that game. They were genuinely quite good for a lot of it, made loads loads and loads of chances, but very bizarre individual errors and Fiorentina playing very well led, led to a massive, massive win for Fiorentina and really a huge win for Inter in the context of the whole weekend. Um, Kev, did you, did you think that Milan's loss could come in this game? Did you think this was one that, one that they might have expected to lose? No, not at all. Not not necessarily because uh, Milan's injuries or burnout or any of that, just because I completely don't trust Fiorentina to be that team. Uh, there's been other occasions this year where they've been playing so well this season. You thought, oh, they could they could they could give an upset here against one of the sort of traditional um, powers of Italian football, and it just doesn't come. And um, so yeah, I didn't expect Milan to lose, but purely because uh, I was not confident in Fiorentina being able to. Uh, show any sort of consistency or, you know, maybe show what they've been doing this year. Instead they did, they turned up and and it was a it was a deserved win on on the, the highlights that I saw. Yeah, you still got consistency. I um a couple of friends of mine were um they're not they don't really watch Italian football, but I said to them, if if any of you got access to BT Sport right now, um Milan have just come from three goals down it's now 3-2 very suddenly and there's 20 minutes left and they were like oh do you know what I might put that on and then one of them said I've just looked at Fiorentina's record and they've won six and lost six (laughs) how how have they done that and drawn none I was like yeah they're hideously inconsistent (laughs) but um, Dusan Vlaovic had the sort of game quite early in the game I thought to myself he looks like he's going to do stuff today he looks like he's going to play really well to the point where I almost tweeted it, thinking if, if people have been wondering how good he might be, I feel like he's going to do something in this game. And I stopped myself because I thought I'll jinx it. I really wish I had now because he, he made it 3-0 to Fiorentina and then he wrapped up the game as well with a very nice finish um, with about five minutes to go. And he scored a lot this season, but he has scored a lot of penalties, which you know, doesn't really matter, but it is a stick that people like to use to beat certain strikers. So they're not scoring enough from open play, but he scored two open play goals. And Vito, where obviously his future is talked about so much ever since it became clear that he will be leaving. Do, do you think the Premier League team is more likely or do you think he could genuinely end up at Juve? 
if he ends up at Juve, I think it would be heavily down to his desire. If he's eager to move to Turin, I think that's the only way a deal could possibly be done. Because financially, the likes of Tottenham and Manchester City, uh, they've got a lot more to spend than Juventus these days. So to me, I don't think it's... Uh, it's the finances that send Vlahovic to Juventus. It's more if uh, that's where he really wants to be. But um, also, I think the way Juventus are at the moment, um, perhaps he might be better off in the Premier League. And with the lucrative contracts players get these days, uh, um, I think he might as well yeah, seek um, newer pastures elsewhere because he's been... He's been fantastic in the last 18 months or so for Fiorentina. Um, he has scored four goals from the penalty spot this season, but uh, going back to this game, I think he showed that he's got great movement. He's an excellent finisher. And just like I said, in the last 18 months or so, his confidence has really gone through the roof. And I think it's a great chance for... Comiso, the Fiorentino president, whether it be in the winter transfer window or after the season ends, I think uh, he'll be cashing in on quite a significant amount because Vlaovic is only 21 now, so you can only imagine what kind of player he'll be in the next few years. Um, he looks like he can be something special if he maintains this kind of form. Yeah, if, if the, as long as it doesn't get really ugly with the club, you can't see how they're not going to get a really big fee for him. But the finances, like you say, with you, they the thing because, like pretty much any Premier League club who will be interested in, will be able to offer a higher wage than Juve can. That's just it's just the way it is now. And one of those teams is Kev's Liverpool, who are linked. Would, would you take him? Do you want him at Liverpool? Uh, we'd certainly need a a central striker with uh, Roberto Firmino coming kind of towards the end of his um, peak, if you like. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take him because I think uh, Liverpool have the issue where they tend to rely on so many goals from wide in Mo Salah and that's that's kind of freakish from a, a, a wide player. So you really do need to find a central striker that's going to score the majority of your goals and Vlavic looks like he could offer any team that in the current form. Well, they are settled. Vlavic is going to Liverpool because they can offer more than Juve. And to be fair, I think he'd probably rather play for Liverpool than Juve, <laughs> as much as I don't want to say it. Um, Kev, is there any? Do, do you think there's any truth in the idea that gets floated around in this sort of situation where a team hasn't lost for a long time, like Milan, they're on a fantastic run, but that defeat does come? You always hear people say, oh, well, psychologically, it's good to get that sort of defeat under your belt. It has to happen at some point, and now they can move on, as it were. Do you think there's any truth in that for Milan, or is, is this just... A bad result, full stop. Yeah, and no, I think there is. I mean, there's always truth in it because um, although we're in an era now when there are usually one or two clubs um, that kind of run away with the league, so it makes defeats a little bit more important. Um, and, and if you're losing against sides that maybe aren't in your uh, direct competition, um, that's an issue because you kind of, probably get away with losing to a, a Napoli or an Inter um, providing you trying to steamroller over everybody else um, but it allows to it allows Pioli to see the reaction of the players from a defeat I think it allows the players to see the reaction from their teammates uh, on a defeat and 
I think the longer the record goes on being undefeated and more and more people start talking about it, it almost has a negative impact from the respect of you go into games not wanting to lose rather than doing the positive things that will win you a game. And it's, you can so easily be one up in a game and start retreating, retreating because you're going to want to maintain this sort of um, undefeated run that then you end up conceding one and then conceding another and you can kind of quickly slip to defeat. So I think the fact that it's out of the way is, is, is probably a positive um, and, and it's not going to, it's not going to set them back too much this season. Yeah, they, it was a, it was a defeat plagued by individual errors. Like I say, there was for the first goal, Tatarashanu drops the ball from, from, I think it was a corner and then Matteo Gabbia just sort of, you know, he came into the side and he just sort of hesitated, basically. There was some sort of instinct was lacking that tells you, hook the ball away as soon as you get in there. It doesn't matter if it goes to another corner, just get it away because he was right in front of his goal and somehow Alfred Duncan sort of pokes it through him. And it's one of those confusing ones you can't make out who's kicked it. But Vito, do you think that could be a problem that comes back for Milan late in the season in the sense that Tamori wasn't available, Simon Kier wasn't completely fit, they probably would rather have not played him if possible in this game and they brought in Matteo Gabbia and it didn't work he didn't have a good game uh, you know that doesn't mean he's never going to have a good game but you know it certainly didn't work this time are they are they going to have a problem with depth at centre-back do you think if they do get a couple more injuries throughout the season I think so because uh, Kaya he's been fantastic since he's joined the club uh, Tomori as well has been a great addition for AC Milan, whereas Romagnoli has seemed to drop off in the last year or so. So, although he's been injured, but even when he has been fit enough, I think uh, there have been some flaws in his game that have been further exposed. Whereas uh, some of the mistakes that Romagnoli makes, I don't really see Kaya or. Uh, even Tomori making those same ones. So I think once you lose those two guys, to have uh, Romagnoli is a bit concerning, despite being the captain previously. And then Gabia, I just think he's he's too raw. He's probably had some games where he's been okay, but I reckon he's had more bad than good whenever I've seen him play. So perhaps with him, Maybe he just needs to go out to another Serie A club or make the drop to Serie B just to get that game experience and get his confidence up and hopefully find a coach that will polish his game a bit more because um, he was quite poor and only Tatarusani was, was worse than him in my view. Yeah, it does make you wonder if they might have to dip into the market in January, which teams certainly don't like doing it. Short notice. I don't know if it's you know for all on it that they might have already planned to do anyway. But um, sticking with you, Vito, we talked about Fiorentina being inconsistent. But you know this is this is a big big win for them. They'll take a huge amount of confidence from this. And then I had a little look at their fixtures, and I was gonna jot them down for this point. But then as I kept looking, I thought, well, I'm not gonna write all these down. But they they don't play any of the top six or seven teams until. 6th of February is when they next play any of them, which is Lazio. They're, everyone they're playing is mid to lower table. I think mean, the the one you say is the hardest game out of the lot, right, if it was played now, is against um, Alice Verona. So do you think that they can, can they put together a run and start 
you know, knocking on the door of those European places, not Champions League, but Europa League conference? Or do you think they're just going to be plagued by this stop-start form they've got? Well, I think um, they will be a bit inconsistent. But that being said, considering that they are going to be facing teams lower than them, I think that's when they can get a good run because they remind me a little bit of, excuse me, Roma from last season under Paulo Fonseca. Fonseca's Roma were fantastic against the lower teams, but when it came to the teams above them on the table, they struggled a lot. They couldn't take the chances and mentally they seemed that they just couldn't cope with the pressure of the occasion. So maybe Fiorentina is going to be a little bit that way. We can't really fault certain players. Like, for instance, I think uh, Vlahovic, you know, he's doing his bit. He's level with Immobile on the couple Canoniere charts with 10 goals so far. So uh, he's not someone with consistency issues. Ricardo Saponara is someone that's played well since he returned from his loan from Spezia. But uh, I think it's more about all the other players just playing their part and uh, shining. So even if there is a bit of pressure on Vlahovic or Saponara, um, they can step up and uh, put in some credible performances of their own. Yeah, definitely. We, we've talked about how with um, with Milan, you know, you could say they are the big losers from this weekend because when your two direct rivals are playing against each other, that is when you need to capitalise and that's when, you know, you've got to win your game because you're going to make up ground on one of them at least, possibly both. But, Kev, do you think they there still might be that feeling that this isn't the end of the world because they're almost certainly going to be out of Europe in two or three days' time, whichever night they're playing on, um, which the other two you would think will not. And I know we've talked about it a bit, but do you think that'll that'll take the edge off of this defeat for Milan fans? Uh, yeah, I think they're probably out of Europe already uh, in, in minds, if not in body. Well, yeah, officially. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Um... I think that will that will that will assist them, particularly with these these injuries, because um, you're not going to be sort of fighting on, on on multiple fronts and, and and trying to kind of nurse people through those upper games because you can't kind of just put the kids out in certain games and they've got not really like like quality in in a lot of positions across the pitch. So um, that might also lend itself to give them a bit of a psychological boost because they'll. They might even believe the hype around the extra days rest that they've got before they go into games. The third big game of the weekend, but not as entertaining as the first two, was Lazio home to Juve. It finished 2 0 to Juve. Both penalties, both put away by Leonardo Bonucci very expertly. And, you know, Lazio just didn't, they just didn't turn up. They weren't there. I was covering this game, not entirely, but I had to do the which I didn't end up doing entirely. But with the ratings, I struggle to think of a Lazio player to actually you know, give player of the match to because no one stood out. I went with Francesco Acerbi in the end because Juve didn't have many chances and you can you, know, you can maybe lay that at the door of a central defender. But they were without Immobile, who he was honoured on the pitch before the game because he's now the club's top scorer and he was in tears on the pitch, and it was all very nice, because that that's an incredible achievement. But he wasn't available for that match. And they missed him, because, you know, the replacement is Marici, who just isn't, the, you know, it's a bit like 
the Batania drop off with the Seamen for Napoli, it is it's a drastic drop off, and you just can't play the same way. And there's no there's no potency with him in, in comparison to Immobile. So, Visa, how badly do you think that affected Lazio, and how worrying is it that like that that's what they can be like without him? I think it's uh, a big loss for Lazio not to have Immobile because if we look at Immobile the player at national team level and Immobile as a club footballer is a big difference. At club level, he's been outstanding, especially for Lazio. And uh, he just is an excellent finisher for them. He just, uh, he's on another level, knows how to get into the right positions and he's uh, far more accurate and clinical when he puts on that Bianco Celesti jumper and, and we talked about uh, Napoli before, the drop-off between um, Osimhen and uh, Petania. At least with Petania, he's shown at other clubs, even if he's not always pro- prolific, he can play a tactical role. He can create a p- presence. Whereas with Immobile and Marici, yeah, the difference is night and day. Immobile is a fine striker. Whereas Marici, unfortunately, he's been a massive flop. Uh, he resembles a training cone as far as I'm concerned. I don't think he's Serie A standard whatsoever. And in the build-up for the second penalty that Juventus got, he was the one that got dispossessed by Matisse De Ligt. So I think that really sums things up in a nutshell for me. Yeah, the the officiating in Serie A has become a much talked about and, for me, now boring topic. But... I have to ask you both about the first penalty that Juve got because I, I thought this was a clear penalty. And then the um, the commentator on BT Sport in the UK was basically adamant that it wasn't, which made me, you know, I was watching it thinking, what what am I missing here? That, <laughs> that And then, you know, you go on Twitter and obviously loads of people, obviously there's there's a almost a cultural mindset basically of, you know, because, because Juve have got that penalty, there must be something wrong. But I just thought it was a clear penalty. I don't know what you thought, Vita. For me, it was a clear penalty. I I think this stigma that's attached to Juventus, I think it stands out a lot and it's still going. But uh, I don't think either of the penalties could really be questioned. Um, I don't think uh, the whole penalty business for Juventus should be used as some sort of a narrative, especially if you put things into consideration and see that uh, Lazio, Lazio didn't play well enough anyway. So, you know, with or without the penalties, the Bianco Celesti went up, up to scratch. And I think the decisions on both penalties, even the first one, I think they were justified. Even if it was someone else in a similar situation that wasn't Juventus and got the same calls, I don't think the situation would be any different both pens, even the first. Kev, are you, are you with us or do you think this was a softies old, softies modern football penalty and he, he initiated the contact himself, etc.? No, I, I do think it, I do think it is a penalty. I, I, more for the stupidity of the foul than it actually being a kind of foul. You know, if you go to ground there, then, you know, you're, you're, you're asking for trouble. Um, he gets a very slight touch on the ball and then that's where I still think it's a foul even if he gets a real clear 
clear touch on the ball and it goes out, but it kind of allows the referee to make the make the judgment that the the standing player could have got the ball if he hadn't then followed through on him because it doesn't doesn't bounce or roll all far enough away from him that the player that he takes down is actually not going to get the ball. So that that's I think that's the infringement there, and yeah, it's definitely definite foul and just absolute stupidity from the from the Lazio player. Yeah, that the, the ball is still Maratta's when when Cataldi then wipes him out. For anyone who's not seen it, the ball gets played in quite fast to Maratta and as he controls it, Cataldi flies in in like if there's a way that you just don't do in the penalty area. And you know, he, he might get a bit of a skim on the ball, but at the, sort of at the same time, Maratta tries. Yeah, that, that that's it, and it's possibly generous to say that. Um, at the same time, that Maratta tries to control it, and he, you know, he he cleans him out. I thought it was very clear. But sticking with penalties because they were the only interesting things that happened in the game, really. Vito, as someone who wants to see Italy do well on the international stage, does it piss you off a bit after what happened with Jorginho against Switzerland, etc.? I'm sure everyone is well versed in that. Benucci stepped up and very calmly scored these two penalties when a lot of people said he should have been on them for Italy. Mm. Yeah, I was uh, disappointed to see Jorginho miss that penalty against Switzerland and seeing him take the penalties like he did against... I mean, seeing Bonucci take the penalties like he did against Lazio, it goes to show that Bonucci needs to be taking Italy's penalties from now on. I still remember that Bonucci... Scored Italy's equaliser against Germany in the Euro 2016 quarterfinal. And in the Euro penalty shootouts this year, Bonucci was able to step up and dispatch his penalties. So he showed that he can do it. Whereas since the Euro 2020 final, Jorginho hasn't been able to convert his penalties for Italy. So, yeah, that is uh, disappointing. And, you know, in hindsight, now you look at it, Italy have missed out on direct to qualification for the tournament. So it's uh, made the consequences even worse than what they should have been. Yeah, it's a bit of a rubbing salt in the wounds for a lot of people, I think, watching him score those two penalties. The second one was, yeah, if there, if there was any debate about the first, there <laughs> really isn't for this one. Because Pepe Reina, the ball comes over the top. Chiesa's got it. He's not quite, he's not in the box yet. Reina. F- flies out with all the speed of a young man, of which he's not, and just, Chiesa just rounds him, it's a doddle, and then he's running into the box, and there's a few defenders around, so Chiesa doesn't pull the trigger, and Reina comes in from the wrong side and just wipes him out. It's the it's one of them, you watch it and you almost, you know, he gets a yellow card for it, but you think, just just send him off, because that was a stupid, yeah, it's not a red card, but just send him off, because he deserves it for the... The stupidity involved, and obviously, Kev is your close personal friend as a Liverpool fan, as we keep saying. Did was this funny or was it upsetting? <laughs> uh, no, wow, it's it's not not too upsetting. I find it funny, funny more than I find it upsetting. Um, but you know, he was, he, he was a very proactive goalkeeper in his youth, uh, always kind of coming off his line, sweeping up, and he, he would make these sorts of mistakes in his younger days, but. They kind of look a little worse now because of yeah, he's sort of he's probably thinking with the mind of a twenty year old and forgetting that he's closer to uh, double that. And um I think once he's once he's missed that initial tackle, his head's just gone. He's not seeing the three defenders on the line, he's just he just wants to make up for his, his mistake and, and decides to have a sweep. 
and takes the player out. So uh, the game had gone at that point. You know, you 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 highlighted Lazio's failings. Um, so yeah, I know it's it's I know it's probably crucial the second penalty, but but yeah, no, let's just laugh at Rayner and not be too hard on him. There's there's nothing more more manic a sight than a, a goalkeeper who's completely sold themselves outside the box and then running back towards their own goal. It's just a position they should never, ever be in. <laughs> the, the, the panic, you can just feel it through the screen. But Juve, you know, they, yeah, we all know about their shortcomings this season and they you know they had a little patch where you think they're getting back to form and then they have a couple of really silly defeats and then... You know, they have won two on the bounce now. So they won the game against Fiorentina, but that was a very, very late goal in a very, very difficult game. Vito, how important was it for them to have a sort of game here where it was it was just a calm victory that, that no one can say they didn't deserve or they cheated for or anything like that? It was just a controlled win that they can sort of take the blueprint from and it was against a good, a good team as well. I think it's one of those so-called you know, typical Juve wins or even a typical Allegri win, but uh, it's those kind of results that's going to help Juve get up the table. Uh, Travelling to Rome to play Lazio is not an easy game, so it was important to get a win there, even though Lazio were without Immobile. I mean, Juve were without Dybala, so you know, in some ways it balanced out, and you need to get those kind of points. I mean, just look at the numbers. Lazio dominated possession, something like 58 to 42. But uh, the shot count was in Juventus's favour. So if Juve are still creating the more chances with the limited possession, I think it's uh, not a good look for Lazio. But uh, you know, sometimes you don't always have to pass the ball around all the time. If you've got the players that can create chances just with minimal touches... Uh, and most importantly, you score the goals. That's ultimately what counts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's our three big ones. But the other results this weekend, it was Atalanta won 5-2 against, Spe- against Spezia, um, which, you know, is a bit of, it's a bit of an old school into kind of win. Um, but... Sorry, not Inter kind of win. What am I about? Atalanta kind of win in the sense, you know, they conceded a couple and then just scored lots of goals in that fun way that they do. Kev, did you enjoy seeing a win like this or do you want to struggle? <laughs> no, I don't want to struggle. Um, obviously, it's not kind of the bits. Um, and, and fun actually was the word I was kind of looking for as you were sort of going through the intro to this sort of game. And it's, yeah, it's just nice. You know, we like Atalanta to be fun. You know, it's, it's nice to have fun sides in Syria rather than dour sides like uh, Udinese and, and and others that I won't mention because we'll just slate Udinese for the moment, shall we? But, um, yeah, you know, fun Atalanta, sharing the goals around, a bit of strange defending, even from when Musso is usually quite, quite sturdy. I don't know what he was doing when he went to try, try and sort of catch the ball, pushes against his own post, um, a little Jordan Pickford-esque a couple of years ago and allows Zola to sort of slam the ball home to give him the lead. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see Atalanta entertaining uh, the neutrals. Incidentally, that win for them actually is in some ways relevant to 
what what else went on this weekend title race wise because they're only three points behind Inter now, and you know that 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 gap towards the top is not insurmountable. You know they'll, they'll have to get a lot more consistent, but they're they're not one hundred percent out of that. Um, so Swala drew two all with Calgary, which is not a great result for them. But the kind of interesting narrative with this, and I saw Vito, you pointed this out on Twitter, I believe, before the game, is that you've got three potential future Italy strikers, the position that is talked about so much, where you've got Scamacca and Raspadori for Sassuolo, and then Joao Pedro, who is undergoing the processes of trying to become a Italy international, which would be mad. I heard a pretty interesting stat about him on, I think it was a BT Sport Galazzo show in the UK, where João Pedro is the top scoring Brazilian in the top five European leagues in the past two seasons. Hello listeners, it was at this point in our lovely recording that was going so well that it stopped going so well for technical reasons, so there is no end of the podcast or happily dashing through the final results with a bit of thoughts on each one. Um, but the next bit of content will be on the patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football, which will be the Champions League review pod, which will be Connor and myself, I suspect, chatting through who's done what in the Champions League out of the representatives. So join us for that one midweek. See ya. Viola lotta con vigore per essere di Firenze vanto e gloria sul suo vestillo scrivi forza e cuore e nostra sarà sempre la vittoria oh, Let's go.